All right, welcome to March. Is it March already? 2019. March of 2019. Uh, This is Behind the DM Screen. We are three DMs uh, talking about our games and helping each other out. And we have a a replacement DM, an upgraded DM. Uh, Sam couldn't be with us this uh, this month. And so instead, we have Enrique Bertrand, who you might know as the newbie DM. Enrique, welcome to Behind the DM Screen. How you guys doing? I am so happy to be here. I love the show, and I'm, I'm glad to be on. Um, I, I don't want to say I'm an upgrade to Sam. Sam is <laughs> unique, and Sam is great. I'm a replacement DM. Yeah, okay. Yeah, S- substitute Sam, DM. The substitute, sub, the substitute, substitute DM. So Sam did, sub- Sam did say that if you're going to be a true replacement for him, you have to at some point reference 4th edition or old school D&D. Did he, also, did he also say I have to edit the show, too? Is he gonna put me <laughs> you have to talk a lot about Labyrinth Lord. Yeah, okay, Labyrinth. Mega Dungeons, yeah. <laughs> and also, do I need to talk about all the academic stuff he does outside of the gaming yeah. world? Because I don't that, know that anything might be, about that. That might be okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay no. then, then I should just uh, disconnect now, because that's oh. not <laughs> But anyways, thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to the show. Yeah, and thank and... you, Sam, for uh, allowing me to, to jump in here. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and and all, and thank you for for filling in. So it didn't just have to be Mike and I talking to each other. Although that could happen because Mike can talk for hours, and and I do this all the time. So well, I, I mean, I listen to the show, and I've actually kept data on who's the one that goes oh, over their man, time. Oh man, really? And it's it's uh, it's Mike. Can yeah, I have a spreadsheet? Yeah. Do you have a spreadsheet to back that up? I'll see if I can. I see if I can. Yeah, uh, is there like yeah. a standard deviation or anything you yeah. can share? What's the, uh, the p value on this on this prediction? Yeah, what's the p value? Stop asking me. Stop asking me hard questions. I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> Excellent, excellent. All right, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and put 15 minutes on the clock. I am the first one up, uh, and then and we'll go from there. So, um, so it's been a month, and uh, it's been another month of no D and D for me. Um, I have been running games. I've, I've, we've been able been able to gather enough players to have a session, but we've been playing my backup campaign, uh, which is Torg Eternity. Which I'm continuing to just absolutely love. Um, in fact, just this last weekend, last weekend, two weekends ago, no, last weekend, um, we played the first Torg Eternity adventure that I actually created myself, which um, is hard for me to do. Uh, I have been crafting D and D adventures for so long. I have a really hard time coming up with ideas for literally anything except D and D, or at least high fantasy, right? Um, but so this was my my first time and and it it went decently well. Like it was real it was probably more challenging than anything else that that they'd run through at this point. Uh and and I actually killed a character which is not simple to do as uh in Torg. Uh and yet here we are, right? Uh I I killed a guy in like the, you know the first uh, first hour or so of gameplay. Uh and then he just sort of sat over on his on his laptop and made a new new character and then rejoined later on uh, with his new character um, but it was but it's also like the setting they were in is one that um, it makes sense to do this so so Enrique I, I know I've talked to Mike about Torg a little bit are you familiar with with Torg so I'm, I'm familiar well I'm friends with one of the writers okay um, and I know that it used to be – it's a West End Games uh, old property that got sort of relaunched by a German company. 
Mm-hmm. That's about as much as I know. Okay. I know it's set in the re- I know it's set in the real world. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if it's a post-apocalyptic or not. Honestly, I don't know much about the story, but, okay. I, but I'm I'm familiar in that I've heard of it, but I don't know. The, you don't know I've much about it. I've never done a deep dive into it. So, so the idea b- behind Torg is that, uh, it, yeah, like you said, it's it's on Earth and it's in in a time period that they call the near now. So, whatever year you're playing it, it's you know a few years from now uh, that it takes place and. The idea is that other realities, there's multi, like, you know, I think it's off the top of my head, six, seven other realities that are actually invading the earth. And each one of them is led by this, this high lord that, that has the ability to do all kinds of crazy things. And they're absorbing all of the what's called possibility energy out of the, out of the earth in order to raise themselves up and make themselves more powerful. And they've done this on countless other worlds and, uh, you know, over the years and what have you. Um, and, and this is the first time they've all come together on one earth. They've all sort of been hopping around, but this is unique because earth is, um, is so full of possibility energy. It became a jewel that was too great for any one of them to take over. So they all collaborated together to take it over all at once. Uh, and so each reality has a different sort of theme, right? You've got your high fantasy reality up in, in Northern Europe, like Scandinavia and, and England. And then like France is the cyber papacy where, you know, Big Brother's always watching you and cybernetic implants and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then um, the Nile Empire, is, which started, of course, in Egypt and, and is moving through Africa and the Middle East is is sort of your 1930s pulp superhero sort of st- uh, setting, and then Africa is Aurorsh, and that is Victorian horror. You know, vampires, werewolves, ghosts, that kind of stuff. Um, the North America is the Living Land. It's like savage jungles and dinosaurs and and you know lizard people. Um, Tharkold is Russia, and there um, it's kind of I kind of describe it as Mad Max meets Hellraiser. Uh, with cyber demons sort of ruling over everything, and and uh, the Russians were the one people who like tried to nuke the invasion when it happened, and that caused all kinds of massive like wastelands and fallout and weird things that happen. Uh, and then the location of my, the latest uh, adventure that I ran them through is called Pan Pacifica, and so that's sort of uh, Eastern Asia, right? It's it's sort of the it's slightly more advanced than than what we're used to in in reality, right? In our normal world, but just advanced enough that it's like, well, this mega corporation basically showed up to save the day, uh, and maybe they had all this stuff in research and development. It's the kind of stuff that you wouldn't be surprised to hear that some giant corporation has been quietly working on in their laboratories for the last several years, the kind of technology that they come out with. So it's a little bit more technologically advanced. Uh, but it is th- this mega corporation came about in order to save everybody from um, a massive invasion of, uh, not even invasion, more of an infection, right? It's almost like a zombie movie. It's almost like Resident Evil in that there's this massive horde of mutated savage creatures trying to eat your flesh. Uh, and some of them turn undead. What's uh what's South America? You didn't get to South America. So so South America starts off not um not invaded at all. Uh and so it's still just core earth. So so mu- much of the earth is still core earth and that's where countries are sort of doing their own thing uh and trying to raise up uh and and, and some of them are trying to resist and fight back. Um okay. and so although if you jump forward uh through the first year, eventually the cyber papacy gets a foothold in in Brazil. They, they play up the, the uh, Roman Catholic sort of uh, uh, connection there to convince a b- bunch of people, hey, we're here to save you. And so 
convert to our version of the papacy and we'll save you from the invasion sort of thing. Uh, so the adventure that I just recently ran this last weekend was uh, the first one that I'd written, like I said, in Pan Pacifica. And Pan Pacifica, it is supposed to, it's, it's a little bit hopeless, right? It's, you know, the, the endless teeming hordes of, of creatures trying to eat your flesh and, uh, and, and odds are everybody's going to die. Like the introductory adventure for this, this uh, reality um, was, is the only one of the introductory adventures that they wrote where at the end, the building blows up and everybody dies because it's hopeless and there's no way of getting out right and the bad guys sort of take off in the helicopter and get to safety as the building explodes later uh, suckers yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> at, at best one of the characters is kidnapped by the mega corporation for experimentation while everybody else dies right um and so so that's kind of the setting right it's that sort of resident evil thing like yeah you survived but man the world that you're in sucks right can, can i ask a real quick yeah what What's the system? Like, what's the Torg system like? The mechanics? Sure. Um, so Torg uses three dice total for the entire game. It's 1d20 and 2d6. Um, okay. And so every time you want to do something, you roll a d20, and then you figure out what bonus or sometimes a negative if you roll really poorly that's going to give. So I roll a d20. Let's say I get a, a 14. And I look at a little chart, and it tells me, okay, that's a plus one. So I'm trying to ride a bicycle. So I look at my bicycle riding skill. That's not really a thing. But I look at my bicycle riding skill and it says, oh, well, I have a bicycle riding skill of seven. I rolled. I got a plus one. So I got a, my check was an eight. Right. Uh, and then if, uh, if I'm like doing an attack, if I, get a, if I get five more than the target number, then I get one bonus die of damage. So that's where the D6 comes in. I roll a, a D6. Uh, and if I get 10 more than the target number, I get two bonus die of damage. Um, and then 10s and 20s explode on the D20. So if you roll a 10, you roll again and add it. So you can theoretically go infinitely high and, and do crazy things. Um, and so, so yeah, it, it sounds complicated and it is a little complicated to sort of get people started with. But once you sort of get the hang of it, it goes really smoothly and it works well. Um, so the, the adventure I ran them through, see, we've talked 10 minutes and I haven't even gotten to the actual adventure I ran. <laughs> uh, the adventure I ran them through, I called Shinzo's Turn. And it was one of the characters um, had a previous connection with this uh, Colonel Shinzo of the Chinese army. Uh, and Colonel Shinzo has reached out to them because they're part of this sort of um, extra governmental uh, resistance organization called the Delphi Council. So Shinzo has reached out to this person that they know that was in the, in the party and said, hey, I'm trapped. I'm separated from my army. I'm in the Chinese city of Xi'an, uh, and it has been completely overrun. I'm just barely surviving. I need you to come and extract me. And to convince the Delphi Council that it's in their best interest, I happen to know of a, of a scientist that worked with the, the big mega corporation, and they're working on a cure to fix the infection. And so the Delphi Council is going to want to come and get them too, right? So they go on and they, they land at the airport. They've got a, 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 what is it, a VTOL, sort of, you know, so they can, uh, the vertical takeoff and landing plane. And they land right down into the middle of the abandoned uh, airport, which as soon as they land is immediately overrun by hordes of, of these creatures, uh, which are infected humans uh, predominantly. Um, and then 
the the colonel comes up with the the uh, sort of auto turrets on mounted on top of of a of a van and and clears a space and they load up and they take off uh, and then they go through this challenge of of working their way through the horde in the city to find the scientist they get down they find the scientist they get separated from Shinzo within the lab and and going through some of the the creatures they find in the lab uh, and then they find the scientist they're trying to get the scientist out and Shinzo shows up at the end and of course because it's called Shinzo's turn. He betra- uh, actually she betrays them and kills the scientist. Like secretly, uh, Shinzo's working for the corporation the entire time. Um, kills off the scientist because the whole point was Shinzo wanted to stop the scientist from from turning over all of the corporation secrets to the Delphi Council. Uh, and then they they managed to kill off the the scientist as well. Except that sometimes when things in Pan Pacifica die they come back as undead, horrific, mutated monsters. And this is what happens to Shinzo. And they end up having to run away. They get to the extraction point and they flee in their helicopter. And Shinzo and the massive horde of creatures uh, survives down below, which feels to me like exactly like a a Resident Evil storyline, right? Um, but at the same time, like they didn't accomplish anything. Like their whole point was to get in there and extract the scientist and the and. Uh, uh, Colonel Shinzo, Shinzo Turner, and, and I, I, I think that back, they did manage to, to save the scientist. So at least they got the scientist out of there, um, you know, but uh, largely it became, it very quickly became a story of, oh my gosh, what have we gotten ourselves into? How are we going to survive? And then as the, the DM or GM, as this game uh, uses it, um, I, I also have the added benefit of, hey, yay, I, I've also created a, a villain that I can bring back later, right? Now Shinzo is this this creature villain who used to be friends with them and betrayed them and um, can always come back and do all, make all kinds of trouble later. So um, it ran a lot longer than a typical Torg adventure, um, which makes sense because Torg is, is, is broken up into scenes and acts. And an act is usually like one session. And a lot of the published adventures I've been running are three acts. And so usually a three act session, a three, I'm sorry, three scene to an act, usually a, a, a three scene act, I can get through two of them in one game session because we play for six hours. Um, this one was five scenes and took us the entire, the entire uh, session. Um, so it was longer, uh, but I felt like we had fun, even if it's a little hopeless, but that's sort of the... That's the theme of the setting, right? <laughs> it's supposed to be. A little I, I mean, that also makes the next session all that more interesting, right? When all seems all hope is lost, and yet, yeah. So, so in theory, like Torg is is designed in such a way that um, it works really well for one shots, which is why I use it for my backup campaign, uh, because you're working for this almost paramilitary organization, right? And each session is basically the organization being like hey we got a mission for you and then you go off and do the mission and at the end they extract you and the mission's over and so you've got a nice little one shot that still kind of builds through a larger story a little bit you know um so them being extracted from the the uh the horde in xion um that's kind of the end of the story like i don't have to worry about the hopelessness at that point they they've gotten away right they've gotten back oh, to you don't continue that. No, so they've gotten back to the base. They were successfully extracted. They're back on, oh. uh, at the headquarters in Sydney, Australia. Like you could continue it, um, but that's one of the things I like about the way Torg is designed is that you can do it as a basically a series of one shots. But every 
every uh, time you play, you go to a different reality, you get a completely different style of game, right? So we just played this this hopeless zombie apocalypse sort of story. And then the next one I have, uh, the last one we played was actually a, a, a pair that I actually did continue um, from one to another in uh, Tharkold. So it was, they did the Mad Max, like race through the wastelands while uh, enemies or, or all... Um, competing factions were trying to like steal the technology that they were trying to deliver sort of feels very uh you know into thunderdome sort of thing uh and then they did another adventure that followed straight from that into the other one right there wasn't there wasn't a break in between um but a lot of times like that way i can i can do that mad max story one week and then the next week we're we're in you know we're beating up Nazis in, in Egypt or whatever, or we're going and fight and riding dinosaurs in, in New York city or, you know, so you can kind of get a, each, each session stands alone pretty well. But then if you stand, it, it feels a little bit like early new doctor who, right? Each one stands alone. And then if you look back at it at the end, you're like, Oh, I can kind of see how this all ties together and connects. Does that make sense? Yeah. Did, did you play Torg back when Torg, was first around back in the early days of Torg? No, I didn't. I, uh, the, the early 90s, I think, uh, is when uh, Torg did its first thing. I was aware of Torg, but I never played it. I actually played a little bit of Rifts, um, which in some ways has a similar similar sort of thing going on that, that Torg has, and that Rifts is also a bunch of different realities on Earth, and so you can jump between different sort of uh, genres. Yeah, I think I was only aware of Torg because there were a few ads for it back in the West End Games yeah. Star Wars books that I never played it either. Yeah, but no, it sounds I, cool. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really like I because of that nostalgia because I heard of it back in the '90s when they launched the Kickstarter for it uh, a few years ago. I'm like, I'm, I'm willing to throw in, you know, whatever it was, twenty dollars, forty dollars, whatever, to get the PDFs. Uh, and then I, I like enjoyed reading that those so much, and then I started playing them. That now I'm, I back all their Kickstarters. So. <laughs> So uh, it reminds me it reminds me a bit of uh, there's another game and you guys are gonna have to help me. Uh, it's called Time Time. Um, oh God! Not, not Time Watch. I think it might be Time Watch. Yeah. Yeah, Time which Watch is, is. Yeah. Which you kind of have to like your 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 job is to basically maintain the integrity of the timeline. Yeah. 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 That's the one. That's which Time sounds, Watch. Sounds really cool and and and. You it's know, fun. Yeah, I played it. Oh, you've played it. Great. Yeah, yeah I, I would love to get in on something like that. That kind of sounds like what you're talking about mm. here, uh, Jeff. I don't know if that's really like that or not, but... but Maybe. I've never idea, played Time Watch, so... That, that, that whole idea yeah. of crossing Kevin, over to Kevin Culp, Kevin Culp did it. Exactly. The Kevin Culp, the, the time game, the Time Watch. Yeah. Okay, great. That really sounds like a cool concept. And the whole idea of crossing dimensions and new realities and, mm -hmm. and stuff, that's something that's always appealed to me, but I've never had a chance to actually, like, in practice, you know, play it. Yeah. Uh, do do you find it? Do you find that it's a lot harder to to come up with stuff like fantasy is so you know it's so ingrained in pop culture already that it's well, kind and, of... and more than that, it's ingrained in my psyche because I've been doing it since since I was eight, right? Right. So do you find <laughs> like coming up with stuff for Torg like is harder because you're using like real world things? So and... yes, uh, yes ish. So so first of all. With the with each time they put out uh, a new Kickstarter, one of the PDFs that they they always have is something they call the the Delphi missions, uh, and those are like they get a bunch of guest authors to write short little blurbs that can very easily be expanded out into a session, right? And so uh, most 
everything that I've run until this last weekend was something that they had published because they published so much stuff. Like I'd run at that point, I'd probably run a dozen, a dozen sessions and I never had to create anything new. Now they're not, they're not designed to sort of fit together into a campaign, but I looked at them and sort of meld, you know, crafted together sort of a meta arc in my head of how, how they would all fit together and work pretty well. Um, then when I realized I wanted to start doing some of my own and I, and I was looking for that inspiration, I wasn't sure what to do. I actually found, um, so the Ulysses Spiel, which is who publishes Torg Eternity, um, they have their own like third party, sort of their own DMs Guild sort of thing, right? So, and it's also done through um, Drive Through RPG. So they have their their SRD and, and all the support and whatever. So people can go out and put together their own stuff and sell PDFs of Torg material. One of the things that I ended up getting when I was looking for ideas on, on filling in some of the gaps and some of the adventures that I wanted in my campaign, one of the things I bought was somebody created a random ad- adventure generator for Torg. And it's like, who you know, what cosm is it going to be? And that's the name of the realities. So what reality is it going to be in? What kind of villain is it going to be? What's going to be the, the twist that, that on the story that they're not expecting? You know, what kind of foes are they going to run into? And, and it's all just a big thing full, a big PDF full of random tables uh, to help generate ideas. And then the, the DM can sort of, or GM, can sort of flesh out the specifics of how all these pieces fit together. And I found that to be a really good starter point like i i just rolled up a bunch of different random things and filled up a couple of sheets of paper with you know 10 different ideas and then i'm like okay well these these three or four look really interesting let me flesh those out a little more and sort of jot down what that would look like and that was great it was just enough of a seed to give me a push and then and then the idea started flowing uh, it, it sounds like a cool exercise in in sort of building that world building muscle right because mm-hmm. it for it forces you to it forces you to do something completely different from what you're used to you know and and dip your feet into something really really it's almost like a 180 mm-hmm. from what you're normally doing oh with yeah D&D. yeah that, that that's interesting that's yeah well cool. and, and in, in many ways uh we were talking about this a little bit beforehand off the air uh, in many ways, it reminded me of that one chapter in the Ravnica book um, that that I know you had mentioned before we started recording. You weren't real fond of uh, the book yeah. in general, um, and and in many ways, I wasn't either. Uh, and people will will catch that when the review is out. Um, I liked it. Mike liked <laughs> the it. record. Well, I and, it was and great. Part of the reason I wasn't originally fond of it was because I don't know how to craft those stories, and it didn't specifically inspire me to a campaign that I wanted to tell. Right. Um, but it had that chapter of here's how you can sort of randomly generate some stories, and that's basically what this PDF was. Um, I found it. Uh, I wanted to give the the person credit who made it. Mike McCall um, created this mission generator for Torg that that I, was a huge inspiration for me. So. Um, but yeah, listen. I have to ask this question, and and I don't want to. I don't want to deviate. This doesn't, this doesn't count against my time, right? You no, no, no. <laughs> I haven't started your time because you're still talking wanna, about torque generators no, no, and stuff. I don't want to go off on this tangent. I just and and Jeff, answer me with one sentence so we don't go off on a tangent. Do you think the Ravnica book was made for D and D fans looking to get into magic, or for magic fans looking to get into D and D? That's a false dichotomy right there. Or for D and D fans in general, or something else. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there's the, uh, yes. I don't think it's written for to get D and D fans into magic. 
Okay. Yeah. Of the options I've been presented, I don't think it. it I would. I would. I, I would think it probably leans more. And you didn't ask. You asked Jeff. Never mind. <laughs> you can answer. It's okay. <laughs> um, I think I it was probably I, I made for magic people to get into D and D. Yeah, I don't know if I was the target audience for that book, but yeah. whatever. I, I, I wasn't either, but I still liked it. And the way I and I asked you this trick question before, but the way I tried to approach it was. It, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't have anything at all to do with magic. It's just a new campaign world that I've never seen before. Right. And, and my, issue, my issue was that if you take it that way, it's not a very thorough campaign setting. Thank you. Yeah. I, <laughs> I agree with Jeff. Jeff, I'm going to hug you for that. Okay. <laughs> all right. So before we let Mike uh, have his oh. conversation, uh, I do want to mention that this episode is brought to you by Noble Knight. Uh, my pick for this episode of, from Noble Knight is Betrayal at Baldur's Gate. Have either of you played Betrayal at Baldur's Gate? I have. Gate? I ran it. Did you? Yeah. Enrique, have you played it? I have not played it. Have you played Betrayal on, of the House of the Hill? Or, uh, I, the, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of the Baldur's Gate D&D. You're game. thinking of murder at Baldur's Gate. Gate. Yeah, that's there was a different. betrayal that occurred in my game, though. I don't know if that counts. No, it's no. a different game. Have either of you played Betrayal of the, uh, at, at the House on the Hill? No, that's an Avalon Hill game. Yeah, and it's sort of a classic one that's that's been massively popular, right? Yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't played it. So Betrayal at Baldur's Gate is basically the the classic, really popular betrayal at the House on the Hill, but set in the city of Baldur's Gate instead of on a haunted house, basically. A, a uh, reskin. Yeah, yeah. And so if you want to get a little bit of that gameplay, but it's D&D. It's a really great game. Uh, I've really enjoyed playing it. Um, with, I play it with my kids. I've played it with my, my gaming group when we don't have a, a full session to go with or whatever. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. And so it's basically, it's a tile game. So you're building the city as you play. And then eventually something happens that triggers um, the turn basically, or, or the haunting as they called it in the original game. Uh, and then you have to pull out a little book, depending on what it was that triggered it and what the location of where you are, the, the haunting is different. The betrayal is different every single time. And so you, the, you, the, the person who is suddenly becomes the villain has to read a book that explains to them, here's your special powers or whatever, and here's how you win. And the people and everybody else gets to, has to read a little booklet and says, here's kind of what's going on and here's how you win. And it's not always like you have to kill each other. Sometimes it's, hey, you triggered the event by finding this cursed magic item. Now you have to get the cursed magic item to this place to hand it over to the big bad evil guy or whatever. And if you can get there, you win. But everybody else has been told, hey, they're going to be trying to get to this place. You've got to stop them, right? And so it suddenly becomes like you don't know who the bad guy's going to be, but it suddenly switches from being cooperative and exploration-based into, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And we got to figure out how to stop this guy. And we're all going to team up on him, except that he's way more powerful than all of us now. Hmm. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, and it's different every time. There's, you know, it's got massive replayability. How long does it take to play a game more or less? Um... I think I've played it in maybe an hour. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, it's not too bad at all. I mean, it's got a lot of, like, cards and tiles and tokens and things that... that so it's got some setup and, and cleanup value uh, in terms of those things. But but in terms of gameplay, yeah, it goes pretty quick. Cool. So I, I would encourage people to check it out. And Noble Knight has it for $10 off. It is uh, $40 uh, at Noble Knight right now. It's 
All right, Michael. Yo. Whose middle initial is W? I don't know. (laughs) That's not true. Michael William Shea? No. No. Wilford? Not... Not even close. Well, I think it's Michael Michael J. Shea. No, <laughs> both wrong. I, th- I think it's actually a C, isn't it? No, oh, it's we, an S. We've it's been over S. this. We've been no. over this before. <laughs> oh my god! Actually, I think it's a. It's, it's Michael. Like you got like twenty-one to no. go. It's Michael <laughs> Manuel Shea. It's oh, an wow. M. Manuel. All right, Mike. You've got fifteen go. minutes on the clock. Go. Right. So I ran the my penultimate Tomb of Annihilation game last night. Uh, they fought, uh, uh, this is my Wednesday group. My Sunday group is in the middle of Waterdeep Dragon Heist. So what uh, happened to their uh, Tomb of Annihilation? They, we finished. They won. Oh, okay. They, <laughs> they won, I guess. They, they, they annihilated they, the tomb. They annihilated the tomb. They destroyed the Soulmonger. Yeah, and all that. So they're done. Um, so I've now run that whole end sequence twice. And most recently with my, with my Wednesday group, uh, which includes a uh, childhood friend of Enrique here. Uh, George Ortiz is in my group. He was here last mm-hmm. night. So um, they, uh, this group has uh, had more deaths than the other group, and they, they had two disintegration deaths, both by the same player. Wow. So we had one player who had two characters that got disintegrated in the tomb. It's <laughs> <laughs> just pretty rough. Um, both of which have now returned as as different things in the game so uh last night was the um it's in level six which is the cradle of the death god and uh they fought the sown sisters the three night hags that are the the, uh nursemaids the ones that make the little creepy toys they make the creepy toys in mine i didn't have a creepy toy i had one of the characters who was disintegrated they grabbed her soul as it was ripping through uh, going to the soulmonger, and they stuck it in a little doll. So there was this tiny little doll with a zipper mouth that they were sticking hat pins into to find out information about the rest of the characters. And um, they had been doing so for the last few weeks, and the the, char- the players didn't know until last night, or I guess I ended it the last session the week before, that there was this tiny little cage on the desk, and inside the cage is this doll that's shaking the bars and has a zipper mouth, and uh, they figured out that this is, in fact, one of the characters. So uh, I told the player, I talked to the player on the phone. We had a um, Invisible Sun-like one-on-one session where I asked her, um, you know, here's what you know. Like if you're putting yourself in the mind of the character who had been killed and resurrected. Here's what you know about the Sun Sisters and what they were asking and what's going on with them and the fact that they kind of transfer in and out of the ethereal plane, which is why they disappear a lot and then come back. And, um, and I said, and you can play your character, which is a fully functional level 10 druid with a strength of one and in the body <laughs> of a tiny little doll. And she's like, yeah, that's cool. You know, I'll just, <laughs> like, you can still shape shift. Right. So she can, uh, she can, she can, she's a druid, so she can do her, her shape shift in different forms and she can be polymorphed into other things. What but kind she can of, also what kind of druid is she? Fighter. What's that? What kind of druid? Land or moon? Uh, I think she's other. land. Okay. Yeah, I don't think she's a moon. She's not a moon druid, um, which is crazy. Now that I think about it, because who isn't a moon druid? Um, <laughs> so yeah, so you know, she she played that character last night. She, I told her like you can play whatever character you want, but you only get to play one. <laughs> like you can't can't play your monk and a druid. And then I had her other character show up as well, who was a rogue assassin that the Sone sisters had uh, resurrected as a shadow. 
and they brought her back, him back because he had a dagger that is the, the fang of the night serpent, which is a key to opening up the door to the night serpent's realm uh, out in the, the southern mountains, the crazy, the crazy mountains in the south of, of Chult. So the, um, the Sone sisters in your game want to free Dindar? No, the Sone sisters want to give the dagger to um, a Sararak so he can free Dendar if he wants to. Okay. Right, because if anybody's going to want to do that, it would be a Sararak. He's like, oh, man, well, that's something that would... I mean, if you're going to absorb all of the souls on, on, on the for- in the Forgotten Realms, then having you know Godzilla suddenly yeah. unleashed to, to, to ravage yeah. and kill and, everybody. And think about it. When it comes to like keys that open up elder evils or release dark gods, he's probably got like a junk drawer full of those things. <laughs> like He's probably been collecting 50 of those. So he'd be like, yeah, sure, I'll take one of those. So it may be the only key that they can give to a Sararak that'll let him that will 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 let them live you know if they face a sarak in the end and I, I think that would be a fun option is that he'll be like you know you destroyed my death god but if you give me that key i'll just leave we'll, we'll call it even call it even because yeah. that's more powerful getting getting access to dendar the night serpent is more powerful than that death god which is kind of lame anyway because <laughs> because um, you don't have to raise dendar from a baby he's already full yeah, right. Dendar's already a full <laughs> you know, planet surrounding serpent so you're good um, anyway, so my, my, my game last night, I think went okay, but it didn't go great. And I'm, I've been kind of analyzing in my head today, uh, like what I, why I didn't feel it went as well as it could have. The reason I think that that happened, uh, was because my, my lazy, uh, loose grip attitude towards D and D works well 95% of the time, but doesn't work particularly well for boss fights that, uh, when, when you're running a boss fight, yeah, I'm still getting my head around this to, to, to try to understand it myself. Um, when you're when when you're running a boss fight, you want to make sure that there's enough structure and enough solid mechanics that the players don't feel like they're just, you know, that that they have rules but the DM doesn't, right? That they want to know that the that things aren't completely fluid on the other side. Mm-hmm. And when when you know monsters seem to be getting away with stuff that the characters don't feel like they can get away with or that it doesn't maintain consistency that can be that can be bad um and so a little bit of an example of that is i was running so i i did this in my other game and it worked really well and it, it didn't go quite as well in this one that i used uh rob schwab's uh blasphemies of borb wallish mm. which is a set of spells that he made available they're fifth edition compatible spells that he made available on drive through that are based on the really dark, nasty spells that he's got in Shadow of the Demon Lord. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what better way to have like the Sone Sisters be really different than anybody else they fought and replace their spells with a bunch of these blasphemies? And the only trick with the blasphemies is they almost all of them can kill a character outright. Like if you, <laughs> if you drop it to zero, they like there's one where like you are trying to rip the skeleton out of someone's body. And if you succeed, you literally rip the skeleton out. And now it's a skeleton that fights for you. And the body is a pile, which is awesome. <laughs> but it's, it's not awesome in the second to last fight of Tomb of Annihilation. That's so Schwab. Um, well, it, it's, it, not, it, it's not it's also not awesome if I can't do that. Why can't that person do that and not me? Well, you know, you have to sell your soul to the to Borb Wallace in order to get access to these spells. But also, you're not a night hack. So guess what? So, um, uh, and actually, so they actually grabbed a bunch of scrolls. There's that room where all the scrolls are flying around and they grabbed them and they were blasphemies. So they actually saw what the spells were before they actually got hit by them. Oh. And, and they were like, wow, these are terrible. You know, and one of them is like, you can teleport someone halfway in and out of a wall. That was really cool. So the fighter... <laughs> had his arm embedded in the wall. And he's like, is that like a save ends? And I'm like, no. It's like, 
do I? It's like your arm's in the wall. Like, like an athletic check? I'm like, no, you can cut your arm off. Like, that's how you get out. And he's like, uh, is it my left arm? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, maybe I'll do it. And then the druid's like, wait a minute. I've got stone shape and, or, you know, stone meld or whatever it is. And she went over and made the stone into mud and he got free. And I was like, see, that was some smart work there because they were really talking about having to hack his arm off. Uh, one of the characters, George's character, uh, uh, Enrique, his, his entire, all of the bones in his pinky finger were ripped from his hand. Uh, in one in one spell, so now he is missing a finger. Uh, no, he has somebody. the finger; he just didn't have the bones. <laughs> yeah, right. There's like so a, he, he's got a dangling appendage. Right. Yeah, that, like yeah, like like meaty tendons and stuff hanging off. Of <laughs> you probably just clipped off because what are you gonna do with that? Um, so there are lots of nasty spells like this that they cast, which I thought really fit, but they're they're so I, I had to modify them for a, a few reasons because I didn't want them. A, I you know the, some of them are are really not powerful enough given how powerful the characters are at that level. And they also auto-kill if they drop people to zero. So I, in many cases, removed the auto-kill capability and then added a little bit of damage to them. And uh, it worked for the most part, but like I could tell that the players are like, it, it was kind of a grind for them. They're like, one, one player in particular. So I, I, I tend to roll a lot. If, if, it, if it's not obvious why they're targeting one character with a spell... Uh, I'll roll randomly to see who's getting hit with what. And yeah, one, I do that too. one of my players got, you know, randomly selected twice. And then they picked a spell that worked well against him. So he got hit with like three big spells. And he's like, why me all the time? And I was like, well, the dice are against you in one case. But the other one is you are clearly not a heavy constitution guy. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so he's, she's going to hit you with a constitution spell. Um, so they won. And, uh, you know, and it was a hard fight. They got hit with a lot of crazy spells of the flavor I thought was really over the top. They lost fingers um, and arms they and... Lost fingers and they almost had to hack an arm off and they almost had their skin flayed. The, oh, so one area that I screwed up and it was really weird is that they have one spell where they can sh basically shout all these blasphemous words and everybody in the room has to make a check or go mad. Right. And they, they get short term madness that they can save against each turn. And uh, what the bard player has a spell, spell called Circle of Power, fifth level spell that gives everybody within 30 feet of him, any ally within 30 feet, uh, gets resistant to magic. Like they, they have to save against, you know, they get advantage on saving throws against magic. And if it's a damage spell, they take zero instead of half. And really powerful against these guys because almost all their spells were doing half damage. And everyone's saving with advantage in every spell, but every so often one of them would get hit. And my wife got hit with a madness check. So she's crazy. And then she rolled on the madness table and it was like, you attack the nearest creature. And she turns her bow and shoots the guy who had the circle of power and knocked his circle of power out, you know? And then we went like two rounds ahead and like, Oh, that's going to hurt. Cause now all these spells are going to hit him again. Right. It's really going to change the battle. Plus she shot like her friend for like 40 damage. Cause she hits like a freight train. With that bow. <laughs> and, um, and then I, 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 what did I do? Oh, somebody else hit the, um, hit the hag. And I, I kind of, I like, I didn't have the blasphemies in front of me. I kind of had like little notes that I wrote down and I couldn't remember if that was a concentration spell or not. So I said, okay, well it is. Cause I don't want my wife to be knocked out of combat for two full rounds. Cause she didn't make her save. So I was like, well, I go ahead and make a concentration. And they're like, wait a minute. I hit her like twice before she should make checks for then too. And I'm like, I'm not rolling back like three rounds. To the point where suddenly that circles back up again, and now we got to redo all the damage everybody just took. So they were frustrated with that. And I was frustrated with that, and that sure. you know, yeah. doesn't make for a fun big battle. Let, let me ask you something because yeah. you you tend to 
try to beef up your monsters a lot. You you in certain in circumstances like this, I do. Yeah. So like, w what made you th what made you decide that you wanted to change up the hags a bit? Is it because you thought they were weak uh, as written, or you just wanted to give it a different flavor? Yeah, flavor. So I the idea that you have these crazy night hags who are dealing with these d death magic their whole lives, and then they're casting lightning bolt. It's like they've been hit with a lot of lightning bolts. Right. Like, why not a spell where they're ripping the bones out of people? Like, why not spells where they're teleporting people halfway in and out of the wall like that? That means that these guys are like nobody they've ever faced before or ever will face again. You know, they are they are unique. You know, they are unique villains and they don't play by the same rules as everybody else. But I think that could be frustrating, too, because it's like they'd rather know what a lightning bolt does. Like, I'm just surprised that and. Maybe it is just flavor. I'm just surprised that you didn't just take the spells as yeah. written and just reskin right. them into whatever you want that. it to be. Frankly, like... That probably would have been better, because I because I already modified the ones that were in blasphemies, and they're too complicated for me to figure out. So yeah, I could have. And and you know, it's easy to take like scorching ray and turn that into blood boil. You know, just yeah. same thing. You make the same check. Maybe you change the reflex to constitution. And I don't think adding in the the fireballs that doing big blast of necrotic energy. Yeah, I don't or, think like, I don't think. Like, Throwing in the blasphemies from from Schwab's product is is a bad call, but I don't know that I would have done like a, a dozen of them. You know, <laughs> pick one or yeah. two like really iconic ones that are going to. Well, we like... did. I mean, it's about four or five. It wasn't. Okay. Okay. It, it wasn't a ton. I mean, because you know, yeah, it was the way you're talking about. Many. It seems like that's all they were doing. So it was all they were doing because they <laughs> only get five, four or five turns, and then they're dead. Like that's you know, true. these are level ten characters we're talking about. They're hammering on them. So. Did, um... Um, and I didn't beef them up other than that. Their armor class and hit points were all the same as their armor class and hit points that they had. Did, so, did, your, did your players, are your players enjoying the tomb or are they dying to get out of there already? They're I think they're ready to be done. I think we're all ready to be done. Like the one one of the things, because they, they did the five, before they fought the hags, they did the five rooms that open up the five keyholes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and they were just like, these are all dumb. George in particular was like, man, there's none of, it's <laughs> like, you know, none of these puzzles have made sense for like three months. You know, and I love George. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was awesome. And but yeah, he, he you know, it was just like so. Yeah, and then I kind of screwed him up a little bit. Like I would forget things, you know, and then they, I just, you know, they got so it, like the fun one is like when they have all the paper flying around and then all of a sudden manifest into like a paper dragon. Yeah. Uh, although I think they were supposed to be like uh, uh, imps, but I turned him into a uh, essentially a uh, I reskinned a young white dragon into a you know spell spell dragon. That breathed arcane magic. And um, and, yeah. and for your for your Sunday group that you did the the battle with uh, yeah with Acerac, uh, how did you find yourself having to modify that too much, or did you run it as written? The final battle. Yeah. Uh, I modified it very heavily, and I, well, so the circumstances. I don't know if you heard what happened. Did I tell you guys what happened in that one? I can't remember if I said it on the show. That they 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 ended up making a deal with a Sererac that um, one of the guys who was slowly turning into a lich the longer he was in the tomb, like he he kept getting more and more cursed and he started turning more and more undead. And he also had a tattoo on his arm that meant he could open up the 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 door to the Night Serpent. That was like a little theme I kept in there. And a Sererac said, "Fine, you sign this contract that you'll work for me for a thousand years, and I'll let your all your friends go." Which, by the way, is you're gonna laugh at yourself a hundred years from now when you think about the fact that you gave a shit about these guys at all. <laughs> you know, and it's like, you know, he's like, yeah, I'll sign it. And then they charmed a succubus. The succubus lawyer showed up who had the contract and they charmed her and she forged the signature on it. So he ended up 
getting away. <laughs> like, and Asarek had a had a phony contract. So in that case, it was like they never even really fought him. Like he, I think he power word killed a couple of people just to show him he could. But you know, other than that, they they <laughs> they made a deal with him, and then he disappeared, and they got out. You know, having scammed him with a solid deception check. Ah, uh, when power word kill is a way of flexing your muscle. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so this one, in this one, I don't know how it's going to go at all because I don't think they're going to want to do any kind of deal with a Sarak. And um, I now, think when I, as I recall, the adventure does not require a Sarak to show up at all. But but you like that part? Oh yeah, yeah. He's showing up. Okay. Are you kidding me? He's on the cover of the book. I'm not going to have him not show up. <laughs> okay. Um, now what they do about it, you know I I this this is one where I want to give the characters a fighting chance. So the main thing is like kill the death god and destroy the, uh, the, the, the soul monger. And then it's sort of like bonus points. What happens after that? But I think what I'm playing with, you guys tell me if you think this is a good idea. Uh, I think I'm going to have him like they they'll be wherever they're at period. They won't have anything special and he will show up. And if they attack him, he'll attack back. And then as they start to die, the gods that they have in them will resurrect them and start them off with like 150 hit points. And then they can fight down from there. And if they can, you know, if they can hit him with attrition, he'll be like, oh, you guys all suck. And they'll tell. So, so he's not going to show up until sometime later after the. the yeah, he Atropos. shows up at, basically after the Atropol and the Soulmonger destroyed. That's when he's going to show up. But but, could, but not like right away, like not no, like, no, no. OK, you've just survived the battle. Now here's a Sarak. No, no. Yeah, it will be as soon as they're as soon as they're destroyed. Oh, like okay. they're not getting a rest. Because yeah. one, one of the things I really like about that, the the, uh, the one of the things I really liked about the, the notation of for a Sarak sort of coming back and getting revenge sort of thing in, in that book is that it's very much like, you know, but he's a lich and he doesn't die and he's playing the long game. Like so he's coming back for revenge. But it's going to be, you know, 25 years from now when you're asleep and you know, you'll never see it coming or or he'll just he'll just show part of it is like he doesn't give a damn about the characters. Like right. he doesn't want it's like getting revenge against termites. Well, you know, like his, he, he, he cares like for me, it's like he's going to show up and be like, what the hell happened here? And then he'll see these guys and he's like he'll get out his bug spray and like, oh, man, termites. Right. And he sprays <laughs> him with bug spray. So it's not, you know, he he doesn't, I mean, in my opinion, like when I think about him, like the characters are ants to him. They, you know, he's so old and so powerful that, you know, they wrecked, they came in and wrecked his toy, but he's got a lot of toys. Sure. But, but then when he sees that one of them is holding the key to the Night Serpent, he goes, ooh, that's something I want. So now he's, there's some reason to have a conversation before he starts dropping power word. Of course, why not? I mean, in terms of like the group that you've got coming up to the, to the, to this fight, why not just kill the guy and take the the dagger you know for the for the other yeah, person it, it was a personal thing like you couldn't do it without him being alive right. but, you know yeah. there's something about just take yeah i don't know it's for him it's probably the same thing like right. if, they well, give I mean, him, if, if he you, kills him fine if, you, if <laughs> you're if you're a serac you just said he thinks of them as ants so why not just yeah. step on the ant and take what you want you know yeah, right, right did your did your party um jump over to the platform with other phylacteries other jars well that had, oh, so the first one yeah. yeah, they they did. And yeah, and started throwing phylacteries in and then he hit him with a sphere of annihilation and disintegrated that guy. Yeah, that's what happened in my game. too. Because <laughs> he's got a, he's moving this. I think he can move the sphere around as a bonus action, right? Yeah, he moves it around. Yeah. So he just and, and, he goes whirling around doing, you know, 22 points of, you know, destroy damage. Yeah, my, my final battle for that adventure was kind of a mess. Like I. Yeah. I ran it. I, it's... Mine, mine with, with the Soulmonger part or the Acerac part? Both. Ah, yeah. So the Soulmonger part worked pretty well for me, and I think it'll be all right in the next one too. It's when a Serac shows up. What do you want to have happen? 
know, yeah, it's and... so it's so uh, I don't know. I don't I, well, I'm not playing it anymore, so I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so what did they do? Did did Sarak show up in yours? Yeah, he showed up and I found myself just basically him not really giving a damn about them and pulling punches because I could have killed them all. Mm-hmm. You know, did you, I could have give them that wrath of the trickster gods where they start getting 50 temps at the beginning of every round. Yeah. And it, 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 you still feel like you could have kicked their ass? I could have kicked their asses. Yeah. And I said, I'm not going to ruin. These guys have been, uh, you know, this dungeon has taken forever. We only play right. like once every two weeks. It's like, I'm not going to kill these guys. It's going to, I'm going to be an a-hole if I start taking guys out because I can, right? Right. Yeah. You know, they made it this far. You know, I got to. So so yeah, there's a little, there's a little bit of like the, 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 the big battle in, not to, not to bring up a terrible movie, but the big battle in um, Matrix Reloaded. Where it's like Neo is fighting an infinite number of, you know, ensign or of Agent Smiths. Smiths, Agent Smiths, and he can, you know, the the reality is Agent Smith can always make more Agent Smiths, and Neo can always fly away at any time he wants. So yeah. when you have, you know, what I'm thinking about is if you have characters that are getting 50 temporary hit points at the start of a turn, and maybe even getting resurrected from zero to one every time, he'll never beat them. At the same time, they're not going to beat him either, <laughs> you know. So. Is that frustrating? You know, I can't it, tell if it's fun or not. Like, it, it was just like we went into it so excited, the jungle thing and the dinosaurs, and then it was such a hard shift from yeah, from the adventure yeah. to the mega dungeon. Mike's talked about that a lot. Yeah, it, yeah, it was, that was just a like for me too. yeah, the, just the whole tone of the adventure changes so much that we just wanted to get through that dungeon and, and get out because it felt like it took forever. Mm-hmm. And some of the rooms, you know, I had a hard time describing some of the rooms. Like there was this one room in particular with the with the the tumbler room. I found it to be like that there's a part where there's a window and you're looking out towards the tumbler. I don't remember. Yeah, exactly. right. Yeah. And I had such a hard time with that and I got confused. Yeah, that, that's and, a, that, that room in particular is a really weird one. Yeah, it was a real weird room. And yeah. it, there were moments in the adventure where we came very close to saying, you know what? Why are we in here again? Let's just get out of here. So my, my players may have felt that way and I didn't notice, but I didn't feel that way until probably the last, this last session. And I think they're ready to go. Now, the so good think, thing about it, you know, one big fight at the end, you know, and I'll. Yeah. I'll, I mean, the good thing about it is that it's a nonlinear dungeon, right? That you could right. just make your way to the bottom if you really want. And yeah. And then my, my group did get smart about saying like they, they went in and I even had this like big Dwarven forge set up for the, um, uh, the big juggernaut area. And they like looked around the area like, yeah, we're not going here. And, they <laughs> <turned> <laughs> and it was, and I'm like, good, no problem. Like it was smart. Like you don't want to screw with that thing. And they never did. They never went back. All, all the rooms where I wanted them to go, like the, the, the big, um, Mastodon room, uh, you know, I would just make sure that one of the five keys were there. Yeah. So in that case, they had to fight a bone devil to get the the fifth key. And it was that. Yeah. I don't know. We had a lot of fun. I still I think overall we'll look back and, and, and say that, you know, I know I'll, I'm having run it twice that it, to me, both groups have enjoyed it. I would do so many things differently if I ran it again. Yeah. Uh, the, the whole NPC thing also soured me on it. Yeah. You know? right. right. There's there's I, so many there's so many opportunities. I, there's so I, many opportunities in that adventure yeah. for npcs to screw things up for you yeah and i, I was lucky that i kind of either i think i heard about that early and they never came into play so yeah. i never that never was an issue i would play it a whole lot differently if i if i were to yeah. redo same with the same with the uh the the urgency of the death curse was never a problem for me either that too that's another thing that, that you know we never even <laughs> rode one stupid dinosaur 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, we did. Yeah, I had dinosaur races. Mine were mandatory. I think they started on the back of a dinosaur. Yeah, I remember mine. you telling that story. It's oh. like you you are on a dinosaur. So yeah. Anyway, so I'm you know figuring out how to make this last. Particularly, I think the fight against the Soulmonger and uh, the Death God will be fine because you know that wasn't hard to run before. I don't think it'd be hard now. Um, but I don't know what to do with S with the Sarak. I'm not sure how to run that. Yet. Punt. Well, what is that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Go up. <laughs> like, what does punt mean? Uh, yeah, d- I don't know. I'm probably going to give it that they basically don't get killed by him when he kills them outright. They they get like back to one, um, and then if they start their turn, they'll get the fifty back. And you know, but they, I don't think they'll know that until after he starts kicking their ass. So they'll be like, "Wow, this is what fighting a Sarak is like." Well, real. Oh, all all that all they have to do is give up a dagger and walk away, right? Or they can give up the dagger, but they're not going to. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure. So what they're going to do is hand the dagger over to a Sarah. Sarah. So what what are you going to do with those characters once you leave the tomb? Because there's no retire them. Yeah, Yeah. I I always I I, yeah, especially after trying to bring characters from Dragon Heist into tomb. That was a huge mistake. So now I'm almost always going to retire characters as soon as the campaign is done. Yeah, that's what we did. And if they want to play a high level game, we'll start new characters at high level. Yeah, that's fine. No anyway, way. you we are way over time. Our our thirty minutes of Mike and I uh, chatting has gone fifty three minutes now. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> so I'll, I'll I'll keep mine short because I just started my my campaign. All um, right. Well, we're gonna get so. to Enrique in a second. Uh, before we do, if anybody wants to out there wants to support the Tome Show, you can always go shopping at Amazon or DMs Guild. There are links at thetomeshow.com. You click on those links, you get the exact same service, but they throw a couple of pennies our way, and that helps. I usually try to distribute that out to all the wonderful people who help contribute to the shows on the Tome Show. Enrique, you've got fifteen minutes on the clock. Go. Awesome. Uh, that means I have 25 minutes. So well, that means you've got like a half an hour. Yeah. All right. So I finished <laughs> Tomb of Tomb of Annihilation uh, with my with my group, my home group. This is my my Miami-based home group here, not my online group. Um, and we ended the adventure outside the tomb, and that's where I cut and ended the ended the thing. I basically, like Mike said, I'm a, we're we're talking about keeping the adventure going with those guys, but we decided to roll new characters uh, for. Uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, the adventure that's not really a heist, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> we rolled up new characters for Waterdeep while uh, one thing I did was I, I sort of snuck in references to what their previous characters did in Cholt. I mentioned the death course and the the death curse and the fact that a group of brave adventurers was able to stop, you know, something from happening in the jungle just to give it some continuity with my home game, you know, with the previous uh, set of characters, but this is an all new set of characters, um, and I'm basically playing it straight as written in the book. I really haven't done too many changes to it. Um, so we're at the point now where we uh, they they bought into the hook with the uh, the gang war that's taking place in the streets of Waterdeep. Uh, we started the Yawning Portal. I met you know they, we went around meeting all the different NPCs that the book uh, sets up, and one of my characters he is in. Uh, one of the players, he's playing an, a, an elf rogue uh, who happens to be a harper. He chose the harper background. So that gave me an opportunity to sort of uh, uh, play along with the, with the faction uh, things that we normally don't, don't really play 
with in our games. We don't really touch the faction stuff too much. Mm. But this time I thought that it'd be cool. Oh, to... and you kind of have to with, with uh, Dragon Heist. Like, that's right. such a feature. You kind of have to because Chapter 2 of this book is so uh, vague that you have to lean into the faction uh, storylines to sort of create some meat mm-hmm. for, this, for the skeleton of the story, right? So it provided a good opportunity. So one of my characters is a Harper. Uh, we went into the background of, of how you know he became a Harper and all that stuff because I happen to have one of the old the old Harper books from the second edition. Mm-hmm. So I, I you know, dug into that lore a little bit to, to play along with it. So my characters right now, we we went through, and I guess spoilers are allowed here, right, in your show. Yep, right? yeah, sure. Yeah, so we did the mission where we go to the to the warehouse, the Centrum warehouse, and we fight the Kankus. Um, one of my characters died at the fight. Uh, the dwarven paladin, I think he's a paladin. I don't remember now. He's a dwarven fighter. He died, right? So, so the party uh, found um, Never Ember's son in the closet, hiding in the closet, right? They mm-hmm. pulled him out. Uh, but they had this dead dwarf to figure out what to do uh, with. So they put him in a wheelbarrow, and they wheelbarrowed him back to a hotel, back to an inn. Like you somewhere. do. So, like you do, somewhere <laughs> in the dockport. And they put a lot of perfume on him to try to keep the, the, the smell from... <laughs> Are they weakened at burning this thing? <laughs> well, basically, they, they basically rented a room, and they kept him, and they put him in a room for, for a few nights until they figured out what to do with him. So they went to their Harper contacts and the Harper said, sure, we'll bring him back. But first you got to do this for us. And they went on the Harper missions that, uh, that are part of the faction things, right? Okay. That's the way that I was able to, to sort of, uh, bring in the faction missions. Uh, they also happened to, to eventually get the, the, the troll skull manor mm-hmm. from Volo, right? So, and I'm playing Volo kind of like a Lando Calrissian. He's kind of like a, a smooth, guy that you can't sort of tell whether he's lying to you or not <laughs> he's kind of like a he tries to be suave but he comes across as more of a phony baloney type guy so they don't they don't really trust him so like they made him spend the night with them the first night at the manor because he sort of hinted that the place was haunted uh so they're like oh no you're not going anywhere you're staying with us right so <laughs> i've had a lot of fun with that um the the one thing i added to the to the manor was the in the basement, uh, in the cellar, I created a beer golem that sort of lives <laughs> down there, and all he says is beer, right? So the reason I, the only reason I created him was because I 3D printed a mini of a beer golem, and he's literally a walking barrel holding two cups of beer, two mugs of beer. <laughs> and I said, I got to put this guy in my game, right? So I made him, he, he's been hiding in the cellar for years, and when these guys go down there, he comes out and says, beer. And he walks over and serves them because he's got a never-ending barrel of beer. Yeah, that's what he is. <laughs> so I've had a little bit of fun with that. And the mini's hilarious. It's, it, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Miguel Zavala. He's a guy on Twitter who's uh, 3D modeling every single monster in the monster manual. And all the books and all the, you know. So And he makes them available for download. So I've actually 3D printed a few of his minis. But this beer golem thing he created was just, it's so cool that I felt I had to include it in the game. So anyways, I digress. So right now I'm stuck in a, a, a place where I have a character who's a Harper, and we're doing Harper missions. So, for example, we had to go meet a talking horse somewhere in the city. Um, but at the same time, I have characters who, have, who are pretending to be Zentarim, and 
I am also doing these interim missions at the same time. Okay. And now, are they? Who are they pretending to be Zentrum to? They are pretending to be Zentrum right now to like to the Zents. To the Zents, correct. Okay. So, so it's more of like they're trying to pull a, a double agent sort of thing. They're trying to pull a double agent sort of thing, but at, but while one of them is really a Harper, like this guy is a legit Harper. He's got the Harper pin and all that stuff. Um. So, so right now we did the second mission. Uh, the second level mission for the Zents where they're uh, in Doc Ward finding who's killing the elves and the half elves. I don't know if you're familiar with that, with that part of the book. Um, it's been a while, but vaguely. Yeah. So there's, so whatever they're, they're, they're basically trying to, they're, they're not sure. And I don't know if it's something I, I haven't communicated properly, but they're not really sure what's going on right now with this whole war and with, and with never Ember's kid and the whole money thing. And what, and what season, not, what season are you doing? So I'm doing the season where the the bad guy is the Beholder. Okay, the Xanathar. The Xanathar, correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, and right now I, I just started ch- – um, is it Chapter 2? What's, what's the one with the – we just started Chapter 2. Yeah, Chapter 2 is Troll Skull and Chapter 3 is Fireball. Yeah, so we just started chapter. We're we're just getting through chapter two right now, and I'm sort of trying to to to, and I and I understand that chapter three is sort of the the inciting incident that gets everything in motion with the right. with the fireball, but they're really into the into the missions now into the Harper missions because I believe they think that they have something to do with the plot, mm-hmm. and they and they kind of don't, right? Like sure. You could you could sort of skip these things, so I guess my challenge is. Maybe there's a way for me to make these things part of the overall plot because I do think that that chapter two is kind of well. Almost... I, I feel like the the inciting incident of the fireball, right? Which uh, what the 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 person gets killed in the alleyway. I yeah. think I think ha- get, having them think that the the plot is the Harper missions, and then all of a sudden this thing happens and disrupts that makes it more disruptive, which is kind of the point, right? I think I think that situation is kind of ideal because they think something's going on and all of a sudden they're going to be shocked out of their complacency and discover that, no, actually what's going on is something completely different. Go deal with this now. Um, so I, I, I don't know. To me, I feel like you're in a good situation. Like that's where I want to be when I get to that point of the story. I have. I think where I'm going to run myself into problems is that I think I've put too many possibilities out there for and too many loose loose ends right because i also introduced the were rat halflings into mm-hmm. the mix right and they actually uh killed one of these guys and burnt his body and threw it in front of <laughs> left it at the doorstep of the neighbor guy who's mm. leading these were rats right okay so they they think there's something going on with him too like i have a bunch of little hooks floating around that well, but I those think- those things don't have to. Those loose ends don't have to be tied up at this point. Like you can continue to weave those things in as you go through the larger heist thing too. Because because there's big chunks of that of that story that are I think intentionally fairly thin so that you can weave the faction stuff and these other plots through throughout them. Right. Yeah. No. I I I, I got I get that. That I think where I'm struggling is that it's it's almost for me it's almost like the 
first time because a lot of the adventures have been, at least the ones that I've run, have been kind of linear. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say? And and this one's very, at least right now at this point in the book, it's very open ended and it's very much, uh, it, it's very it's very I don't want to use the word abstract. That's not really the word I'm looking for, but it's very much you could do a lot in mm. after two, and you could take your time with it and you could sort of go as far into it as you want or, or as little, I could have that fireball go off next session if I wanted to, you know, right. mm-hmm. like yep. there, it's, it's, so I'm kind of struggling with that because I, I'm not used to running those, those type of games. You I'm need, to... You, you need to read the return of the lazy dungeon master. <laughs> I don't know. If that's <laughs> I'm running that next. Like I'm starting chapter two on Sunday and I've run it before. Um, and one of the things that I think is interesting about that chapter is um, you can extend the time frame out a lot. So if characters want to go work on stuff, they can spend a 10 day working right. on stuff, you know, and you know, you can say like, okay, what happens over the next 10 days instead of what's the next turn. Right. And, and it's, and I'm also a little frustrated because they're not really interested in running a tavern and doing that whole mini game. That's mm-hmm. I think an expectation of this book of, of but running at the same or... time i mean other than being in the right place when the fireball goes off there's nothing in the story that requires them to to maintain the 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 tavern right so let them let it go if they yeah, want they to, could just know? turn it into a clubhouse if they want yeah yeah no no i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to let it go because no, they, no matter they don't how care. much i <laughs> No matter how much I try to make them care, they really don't give a I, shit. My, mine almost <laughs> didn't want it. My, my, my group was like, we don't want your stupid lease, you know? It's <laughs> like, a paper win. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that's going to be interesting. Like, I think when they saw that I printed out a stupid poster map for it, they said, okay, well, we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I a handout. I think they're going to go, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah I think that's. I think they felt I guilted them into, right. <laughs> into taking it. Yeah. But I mean, I'm having fun with it. I'm still trying to wrap my head around where exactly mm-hmm. I want to, you know, how far I want to take these these missions because I don't know. Like one of the guys is a harper already. Uh, does he? Do I need to get the rest of them to become harpers through these missions? I don't know. Uh, Are they really? I mean, I there's a lot of faction options, and in my head, one of the things that becomes interesting is when you have characters who are of different factions and possibly even opposing factions or at least factions with different goals. Um, it can make things more complicated, but it, I think it makes it more interesting when suddenly they discover that they're both trying to accomplish something that may not coincide with each other, you know? Um, so I don't know that you need to like convince all of them to become Harpers. If others want to become Harpers because they have this contact and this connection, then that's fine. Uh, but if if they're introduced to other possibilities and they decide that these other things sound more interesting, I think that can make for a more rich story uh, anyway. So yeah, I would I would let them know what the, you know in various ways through meeting NPCs and whatever. Let them meet or f- discover what the options are, what who what factions they could join, and then they can decide where to go. And you just find a way to make it fun. Yeah, I think that's I, I think that's what I'm going to lean towards because like there's another. I want to make it as fun as possible. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm also gonna give them the coins at the end. Like they're gonna keep that money. If if they can beat the bad guy, they're gonna keep that money because I'm not gonna yeah. play these characters again, right? These characters are gonna be retired, 
and I'm not going to have them go through a heist that, where they don't get the, the, the reward at the end. Yeah, like, the, the, just... the conclusion of that adventure is probably the, the, big, the, the one thing, I think, in the whole thing that I was disappointed with. Everything else yeah. about that adventure I love, but the fact that you get to the end and it's like, wait, and then they take all the money back? That's lame. <laughs> like, yeah, my, yeah, my, like, group, my group got like 10%. They got like a finder's fee of 10% of it. That's like, they, my... they ended up negotiating that. Like, I know these guys. They're going to be like, are you kidding me? No. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> We're taking the hell? that money. <laughs> I'd, I'd be like that. I mean, you've been First advertising this thing. Heist, is... so there's no heist. And second, yeah. you're not even giving us the money. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 they, I, I mean... and I don't care because we're not going to play those characters. Right. Again, yeah. right? right. You should you should switch to uh, organized play season eight rules at the end and say, like, nope, you only get 50 gold. <laughs> <laughs> so right now, I'm, so just to just to recap, right now I'm going through the Harper missions. Um they think these Harper missions have something to do with the with the with the main story that Never Ember, you know, basically laid out about his dad embezzling money. They think somehow this is tied together, and maybe there's a way for me to tie, you know, to that. While at the same time, they're doing the the um, the Zentheran missions um, to to try to. I, I I kind of introduced that to them. Um, just as another hook, basically, to for them to have other you know, other things to do because not everybody wants to be a Harper either. Like some of the guys are like, well, I'm not really a Harper. Why would I care about that? And so I'm, you know, these, these, these early faction missions are kind of simple enough where you could sort of use them and, 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 and see where they go. And I don't know. So what, what if instead of making the, the Harper missions or making the Harpers integral to the larger plot, what if they become devices for the characters to achieve some of the things in the larger plot? So that way they're, they're still important and they still matter to the larger story, but not because they're feeding the story or they're important to the story so much as they're a resource that the players can go to. Hey, we're trying to figure this thing out. The Harpers have the contacts. Maybe they can help you figure it out or whatever. Does that make sense? So that way yeah. the, con the connection to the Harpers still is important. But they're not a, a driving factor in the larger narrative, you know. That's a good that's a good idea. I think um, I, I got to give it some thought because I'm 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 really struggling with the second chapter of this book and 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 I think there's an expectation from them that I'm not just wasting their time with these missions mm -hmm. and that they'll have something to do with the main plot. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like and and it goes back, I guess, to you know. I'm not lucky enough where I get to play weekly. I'm not lucky enough where I get to. Sometimes I, I play once a month, right? Yeah, you so, and I have the same schedule. Yeah, make so it, make it count. So yeah, these things have to count. It can't be just like so. Why do you make us go through this if I had nothing? I don't want to hear that. You know what I mean? Right. And where I'm struggling is how do I tie this to be part of the bigger, the the whole, the overall whole instead of. Did being... they um? So have you already gone? They've already gotten the place and already gone through and dealt with the haunting. In the uh, in in in, in Troll Skull? Skull, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. We did that already, yeah, yeah, yeah. They befriended. I, the, I ended up extending that part of it a lot, and then reducing the rest. But again, they don't like hanging out at home either. Like they don't yeah, want right. to. They don't. They don't want to do that. Like they're not interested in the. It, like I, I tried going through the uh, the expenses sidebar with. Okay, this is what it costs <laughs> to run a tavern. They're like, I we and they're like, we don't want to do that. Like we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> so right. You know, so they're, that's where they're, they're not playing D and D to, to play Sim Tavern. They're right. not playing D and D to do a a resource management game right. for a tavern. Exactly. Right. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm I'm trying. I'm struggling with chapter two, sort of how to how to make it feel 
like an important part of the adventure when it's really kind of filler content uh, for the adventure while at the same time giving importance to a character who chose to become a Harper because that's, you know, that's part of his background and I want to honor that um, and sort of make that tie into, into the overall part of the game. So, so I think I'm going to, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my time to really go through these missions and try to try to connect some dots to the greater whole. And if I have to change him a little bit, I'll change him a little bit and, and see where I can make some, you know, make some connections to, to the Zents and the and the overall storyline here, you know, I'm sure it could be done. I think uh, the next time we need a substitute DM for behind the DM screen, I'll have to to call you up uh, so we can find out how it's going. So more to come to be continued. There you go. There you go. Sounds Mike, good. did you have a last question? Because we are way over time. Nope, I'm <laughs> so, good. Okay. All right. So thank you, uh, everybody, and thank you, Enrique, for joining us. Uh, people can find Enrique on Twitter. He is at uh, NewbieDM. That's right. And you thank go. you for having me on, guys. I really yeah, appreciate it. I had a great time. It's always a, it's always a fun show to do. I always enjoy it. Uh, those of you listening out there, one more way, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the Tome Show, become a patron, uh, and support us directly, and that is a, a lot of fun over there. So – uh, that's the end of the episode. We've gone uh, over an hour and, and our 45-minute conversation, <laughs> as we do. As uh, normal. As, yeah, it's pretty normal. Uh, but now it's time for me to go to bed. So, uh, goodbye, guys. Or say goodbye, guys. Goodbye. I, I, I'm going to go play Tunnels and Trolls with Sam. Oh, I don't yeah. Know yeah. Labyrinth Lord. Labyrinth Lord. Labyrinth Lord. <laughs> <laughs>